Father, now indeed we come to this time in the service where we desire to continue in our worship towards you. We continue to worship you through your word. Through, Lord, yes, as we just sang, the preaching of your word. Lord, give us now ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand. Lord, I pray for myself that it would be none of me but all of you and and that your word will come out with clarity and conviction and truth. And that, Lord, you will, through your Holy Spirit, empower us to hear your word, to receive it, and to, Lord, allow it to sink deep into our souls. And that, Lord, we would seek to live out your word always. We we thank you, Father, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness, for faith and the practicing of that faith. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So speaking of faith, because that is what our message uh, will have it's, as its primary focus this morning, there's a, there's a story that I love to tell, and if you've been in um, Bob Powell's evangelism class, uh, or, or when I've done things with the uh, little kids and, and stuff, I love sharing this story because to me it's just a great illustration of, of not just faith, but as we will see, biblically defined, active, living faith. So there was, uh, there was a man in the 1800s by the name of Charles Blondin. And Blondin, uh, I, I love Blondin because he was a, a um, tightrope walker. And I love all things circus and did, you know, gymnastic stuff and juggling stuff and even wire walking stuff. And so I, I love the story of Blondin because in the mid-1800s, he made a name for himself. He became famous by crossing the Niagara Gorge. Mind you, again, mid-1800s, an 1,100-foot walk that he made on his tightrope and it just uh, catapulted him to to um, humongous fame now he didn't just walk across it though he did this multiple times over a number of years where he would go across blindfolded he went across in a sack he would go out midway and actually sit down he went out on stilts believe it or not he would he would carry people uh, like a, his manager on his back. The the coup de gras I think though was he pushed out a stove on the wire, cooked an omelet, and ate the omelet on the wire. One of his one of his big ones was he he would take a wheelbarrow and he'd take the wheelbarrow out and 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 he and he'd go out and he'd come back and then he'd put a, a a big sack of you know fifty pounds sack of flour and he'd take the wheelbarrow out and he'd come back and of course he drew huge crowds huge crowds and on one of these occasions he said after he came back in with the wheelbarrow how many of you think that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and and take him out over the 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 wire and back and of course they're all cheering yeah yeah. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. He said, wonderful. Which one of you will be first? Exactly. And then his poor manager gets stuck doing it, you know, real nice, nice guy. But, but in other words, what I, I use that to illustrate is some might say they had faith, the, the crowd. What kind of faith though did they have? 
Maybe they had an intellectual faith. You know, they, they, they believed somewhere in their mind that, that he could do this. But was it faith that prompted them to get in the wheelbarrow? No, it wasn't. The faith kind of stopped short. Friends, as you will see this morning uh, from the scripture, true faith leads to action. True faith leads to action. And so this morning, we want to consider this encouraging faith from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 6 to 10 this morning. And as you turn there, I'll just give you a little quick recap. Um, last week, we were in Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5, and we learned about the encouragement and strength that all Christians need at one time or another. In fact, we called the message for such a time as this because this was a time where Paul and Silas and Timothy um, had endured much affliction, they had undergone much suffering, and we would presume that the same was true for the Thessalonians uh, believers in their newfound faith, uh, because their faith was not always popular with those around them, namely the Jews, or even the Greeks, or the Romans. And in any case, we learned that as Timothy traveled back uh, to encourage and strengthen the Thessalonians, that God uses believers He uses believers in the life of other believers to provide the strength and encouragement that we all need to to persist in our faith. Furthermore, we learned last week how all our trials, our tribulations, our afflictions, our sufferings are all a part of God's sovereign and providential plan. In fact, they are not just merely allowed. We like to say that sometimes. Well, God allowed this to happen. I'm not sure why God allowed this to happen. But really, truly, God causes things to happen, caused by him all for his intended purposes. Sovereignty denoting God's overarching um, purposes and plans for redemption of the universe, the world, people, and then providence being Kind of the outworking of that, how he how he brings those plans to fruition. So then, this brings us to the middle of section uh, chapter three, excuse me, where Paul tells the Thessalonians some very encouraging things about their newfound faith. So why don't we go ahead and always and, and stand for the reading of God's word? This is First Thessalonians chapter chapter three, verses six to ten. Paul writes, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, the key element. The key element in our text this morning is faith. And, and what's interesting to me is it, 
it is not just what faith produces in the life of those who have faith, but it also has this focus of, of what it produces in the life of someone who experiences the faith of someone else. So we would all, as believers, say we have faith, and we're going to see what that produces in us. But then when we recognize that others here, as our brothers and sisters, also have faith, what that does for us as well through their belief and trust in the Lord. And in this case, too, not just what the Thessalonians' faith does for them, but what it produces in Paul and Silas and Timothy as well. And consequently, not just what our faith will produce in us, but how our faith will affect other believers, especially those in our, in our church family here. And of course, we always need to define terms, don't we? We need to define terms. And in the case of faith, it's this Greek word pistis. And there are many definitions, but even Webster's, as well as biblical sources agree that belief and trust are at the root of this word faith. Now, when we say faith, We could be referring to any number of things. There are several kinds of faith. Probably the most common is when people describe having faith in something, you know? Uh, Yeah, I have a faith in this elevator. I have faith in this elevator that something is not going to go haywire while I am on it. You know, cables snap or hydraulics go out or that kind of thing. uh, uh, And we crash to the bottom. People have faith in doctors, don't they? We have faith in airplanes, that they're not going to come crashing to the ground. We have faith every time we go to a restaurant, don't we? And we are served food, that it has been prepared safely. We have faith that traffic lights will work properly. It's pretty funny because uh, uh, Lily just took a trip to see uh, some of her pals up in Weaverville. And, and, and Trinity County was the last county in California to not have a single stoplight until about two months ago. No stoplights in the whole county until now. And now they got a stoplight and everybody's like, grumble, 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 grumble. We got a stoplight. But we might have faith that someone is going to do what they said they were going to do, right? Or just faith that everything will work out okay. Now, people also describe their beliefs about life. And spiritual matters, Christian or otherwise, by saying my faith or or their faith. Well, what what their faith is in. My faith is all about the earth and being one with the planet. Or or my faith is in myself and being the very best person I can be. Some place their faith in government for the needs of life. Some will place their faith in a religion, maybe Islam or or Buddhism or even a cult of some kind. And yes, some place their faith in Christianity. Then when we kind of move into more of the Christian biblical realm of faith, we have uh, what we call the faith. The faith, and by which we generally mean Christianity as a whole. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, Luke describes what was happening in the early church by saying, "...the word of God kept on spreading." And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. We might tell someone, yeah, yeah, I grew up in the faith. I grew up in the faith. And finally for us this morning, there is faith as in a belief and trust in God and his son, Jesus. This faith 
first manifests as saving faith, which is to say a true belief in the gospel brought on by God's grace, followed by an ongoing trust in the Lord throughout a Christian's life. Now, you might be thinking, this is what I thought of when I was putting this together. Well, let's go back. What about Abraham, right? Because we have some interesting things about Abraham and faith. What kind of faith did somebody like in the Old Testament, Abraham, have? And what about Old Testament faith? Because, well, they didn't have Jesus back then. Jesus, you know, hadn't, hadn't had his first advent yet. And that's a very good question. And so for this, we should quickly turn to Genesis 15. So keep your Thessalonians passage there. And turn back with me to Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. And of course, the context here is that God has started to give some just tremendous promises to Abraham, but promises that really seem dependent upon Abraham having what? Offspring, children, right? Um, Kids. But Abraham and Sarah were, of course, starting to get up there in years, and they had none. They had none. Well, look at Genesis 15, beginning in verse 5. It says, and he, that would be God, this is a vision that Abraham was having, that God was giving to Abraham, and he, God, took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then he, meaning Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Did you get that? Because at this point in time, Abraham just didn't have some some kind of belief in God in in an intellectual sense, like we talked about the people on the, the side that believed Blondin could do it. It wasn't just an intellectual belief, a belief in his mind, but rather he actually believed in the promises of God. Yes, he believed in God, but even more so, he believed in God's promises. In Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it really provides an amazing definition for faith when the author of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? You might remember what Jesus said to Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, when he said, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. There was a pastor by the name of H.H. H. Hobbes who once said, True faith does not see and then believes. It believes and then sees. If we were to go back to Hebrews 11 and verse 2, then the author of Hebrews continues on, For by it, meaning faith, the men of old gained approval. Men of old like, like Abraham, who trusted that God's promises would come true, and then acted upon that belief and trust. And friends, that would be the, the perfect definition then of biblical faith, right? Belief that then turns into action. Uh, Simon Lake. Simon Lake believed in the possibilities of a submarine. And he acted on it long before it was perfected. He was an engineer that that was a, a part of creating the first submarine. The Wright brothers even believed 
in air transportation long before their daring flight at Kitty Hawk. Martin Luther once said, miracles take place not because they are performed, but because they are believed. Now, going back to Abraham, back in Genesis 15 there, um, that wasn't the first set of promises that God made to Abraham. Why don't you go to Genesis 12? Just back up for a moment to Genesis 12. Right there at the beginning, verse 1. And listen to these promises that Abraham had already been given by the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, he hadn't had his name changed yet, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of hard to imagine, right? You, 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 you are told by the Lord to just up and move, not for any particular reason, but that you are given these promises. And do we see Abraham kind of hang back and go, oh, wait a minute, Lord, can I, I'm sorry, can I ask a few questions first? Let me, let me just get a few things straight. <laughs> just, just to reiterate, God, are you sure, Lord? No. It just says Abraham went forth. He trusted and believed in the promises of God. This, friends, is, is true belief. It is true trust. It is faith to the point of action. As James chapter 2, verse 26 says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. There was a pastor who, who described a time when his five-year-old daughter came to him and asked for a dollhouse. And Pastor John promptly uh, nodded and, and promised to build her one, and then he went right back to reading his book. Well, soon he glanced out his study window, and he, he saw her arms filled up with dishes and toys and dolls, and she's making trip after trip and creating this, this, this great pile of playthings out in the yard. And he asked his wife what the daughter was doing, and the wife responded, well, <laughs> you promised to build her a dollhouse, and she believes you. She's getting ready for it. She's getting ready. He later on would say, you would have thought I'd been hit by an atom bomb. I mean, I threw aside that book. I raced out to the lumberyard for supplies. I quickly built that little girl her dollhouse. Now, why did I respond? Because I wanted to? No, not necessarily. Because she deserved it? No, not really. But because her daddy had given his word and she believed it. And she was acting upon it. When I saw her faith, nothing could keep me from carrying out my word. Faith in the promises of God to the point of action is what Abraham is commended for by God in Hebrews chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 11. What a, what a tremendous... Uh, part of scripture we have here and boy i would encourage you even this week 
to uh, to go back. I would have just read the the whole thing, but but because of time, we'll just have to take a few snippets here. But read the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Faith of Hebrews eleven, and just be encouraged by those who went before us who then are commended for their faith. And that's what's interesting, huh? They're not commended here um, for being perfect people, are they? No, all of the people mentioned in the Hall of Faith are sinners through and through, just like you and I. But they are commended for their faith, men and women alike. Well, this is Hebrews 11. Let's pick up in verse 8. We'll just focus on, on a little bit with Abraham here. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith... Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's the part we already talked about, right? By faith, verse 9, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He didn't even have a permanent place yet. Fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. This is the tremendous faith of Abraham and Sarah. And of course, what's so amazing about this passage is that Sarah, too, is commended for her faith by believing in the promises of God for a child even after that little bout of laughter that she had right and then it talks about all the descendants that did come from abraham's line and then later on in this passage of hebrews how all of these died without receiving god's promises that might be a tough one for us to swallow wait a minute i'm gonna i'm gonna believe and have faith in these promises but i'm not gonna get to see these promises come to fruition Right away anyway. But instead they welcomed them from a distance. In other words, even though they didn't see the fulfillment of God's promises, they still acted in faith. Always believing and trusting that God had prepared a heavenly city for them. Well, Then if we continued on in that passage, we see too that Abraham's faith just goes up a, a, a notch way beyond what I think I could ever exhibit he takes this faith thing to a much higher level when he was prepared to sacrifice his only begotten son isaac on the altar because quote he considered that god is able to raise people even from the dead hebrews 11 and verse 9 19 that is remarkable faith that is remarkable faith that leads to action Leads to action. All right, put your uh, put a bookmark there in Hebrews because we're going to come back to Hebrews in, in in a bit. Right, put your bookmark in Hebrews and you can go back to uh, to First Thessalonians. All this to say, the Old Testament saints believed in the promises of God. This drove them to action, drove them to action, and then that faith was credited to them as righteousness and of course that would ultimately be based on the future righteousness of who god's son 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that's why it was credited to their account to be to be cashed in after Jesus accomplished what he needed to accomplish on the cross. But for them, this was true saving faith. And then this is where we come in, friends. This is where we come in on this side of the cross. And we understand about saving faith, our faith that leads to action, that we would believe in the promises of God, that we would believe indeed that God promises us forgiveness of sins, that God promises us eternal life with him and his heavenly kingdom. And then, of course, what are we told to do? But we are to have this faith. We then believe or trust in these promises. And then, of course, we are given the righteousness of Christ for our belief. All the work of our salvation was accomplished by Jesus himself. We, we, we played no part in, in our salvation. Jesus is the one who came to this earth to live that perfect life that none of us could ever live, to die on the cross in our place, to, to take all of his father's wrath upon himself that should have been for us upon him that, that he would literally become sin for us. And then that he would be put into the grave. But three days later that he would resurrect. That he would come alive. That he would indeed prove that he was God. And that these promises indeed will come true for us. Because of his resurrection. We know then that we too will be resurrected. And then we are told to do what? Believe. Repent and believe in the Gospels. Exactly what Jesus was saying. Turn away from your sins and turn to God. Turn to His Son, Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And receive these promises. Yes, we have forgiveness when we believe. And yes, then we have that future promise of eternal life with Jesus. In God's heavenly kingdom. And all of this to say. It's this kind of true saving. And sustaining faith. That we see in our text this morning. And one. That we're most interested in understanding more. About faith. And so as we we come to our text this morning. uh, Now I'm not trying to scare you here. Okay. Because that that was the introduction. I'm not trying to scare you here. But we're going to get through ten characteristics. And no, it's not going to, you know, press into fellowship time and I'm going to let you go for lunch and stuff. It's just you're going to come back after lunch. We're going to go till dinner time. All right. To finish them all. That's yeah. We'll see how many actually show back up. huh? <clears throat> no, but we do have from our text 10 characteristics that faith produces both in the life of a believer who has faith and in the life of a believer who experiences the faith of somebody else. And, and what are you and I to do with these ten characteristics? Well, we're to look at our own faith to see if our faith is producing these things in us. And if not, we should be asking the question, how come? <laughs> what are we missing? Why not? What can we do to change things? And the first one is this, going back to First Thessalonians in, uh, in, in um, Chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith. The first one says, faith produces encouragement. Faith produces 
encouragement. Timothy was sent by Paul to inquire about the faith of the Thessalonians and to strengthen and encourage them due to the persecution they had all been experiencing. We've talked a lot about that. They were in Philippi where they were beaten and they were thrown into prison. They show up to Thessalonica and the Jews become jealous and they incite the town and and and, and basically um, try to find them and, and uh, bring them before the authorities, but they, they're hidden. Um, they finally leave Thessalonica. They go down to Berea, and of course the, the Thessalonican folks there that didn't like them show up in Berea and continue to do the same thing, and just much persecution and affliction and suffering. In any case, Timothy has now returned. He has returned to Thessalonica uh, and, then, and then was there to strengthen and encourage them and has now come back to Paul. He's returned to Paul, and what did he have? Did he have a bad report? Timothy, oh yeah, Paul, it's terrible. You got to get up there because their their faith has collapsed. The pressures of persecution are obviously too great. There's some wolves in sheep's clothing that have kind of slid in and and given them some softer, cushier gospel message. There's heartaches. There's difficulties. No, Timothy comes back with a good report, good news, good news of their faith. Good news being evangelizo. Which is where we get the word evangelism from. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this case, the good news is about their faith. That it has remained intact. And there's fruitful evidence. And there's growth. And there's, and there's strength. And you can just imagine this was music to Paul's ears. These were, these were words that would warm Paul's heart. And so, brothers and sisters, let us ask the question of ourselves. Where is your faith today? If Timothy visited you and he reported back to Paul, what would he say? Would he be able to give a good report of your your rock-solid faith? And if you're not feeling very rock-solid, what might be the reasons? Looking back to Jesus' parable of the soils, has Satan stolen the seed of the gospel from you and you remain unbelieving? Have trials and afflictions and sufferings gotten in the way and your, your temporary faith has caused you to fall away? Has the worry of the world and deceitfulness of wealth choked the word and your faith has become unfruitful? And mind you, in Jesus' parable... These are all three indicative of unbelievers, that there was truly no real saving faith. But couldn't believers also have struggles in these areas? Absolutely. I mean, certainly, Satan prowling around can tempt us to to allow our faith to wither. Or difficult situations of life, maybe, maybe pertaining to relationships or, or jobs, career, school, or or finances might might creep in and cause our faith to start to wane. And maybe even some of the confusing and challenging situations we find ourselves in here at church may cause your faith to weaken. So friends, let us be encouraged by the Scripture and by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And lastly, let us be encouraged by each other. By other believers. And again, go back and reread that Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11. And, 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 and just be encouraged by them who were commended for their faith. And then we also, in our Hebrews passage though, we see an anecdote to weak faith. 
Go ahead, that's where I have you. I would have you flip back there. So if you kept your bookmark there, one more time, back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And let us see this anecdote to maybe uh, a weakened faith. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, the author writes, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, referring back to the, the hall of faith and all those people in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. You get that, right? So we have these encumbrances and we have sin, of course, that, that gets in the way there. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the idea there is that back in those days, you didn't want, you know, pieces of clothing flopping around and flying in the air as you're trying to run. They did run in the buff. That's what they did. So you didn't have these encumbrances getting in the way and boom, you could, you could get to that finish line with, 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 with great speed. He says in verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That is who we see. That is the finish line that we look towards. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, this is what we were told to do, consider him, consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the anecdote to a weakened faith, friends. Laying aside those encumbrances and sin, running with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, considering Him. Secondly, faith produces love. Faith produces love. Looking back there to verse 6, we'll, we'll call it A and B. Uh, he says, and has brought us good news of your faith and love. And love. So not only did Timothy bring back a good report of faith, but also of the Thessalonican church's love. Now there are three possibilities as to the nature of this love. Was it a love for God that they have? Or was it a love for each other? Or was it a love for unbelievers to maybe hear the gospel? And we might presume even all three. Certainly number one would have to be true in order for numbers two and three to be true, right? They had to have that love for God first and foremost. We only love because God first loved us in 1 John 4.19. Now, Paul does give us a clue about what kind of love he is talking about in what proceeds right after this because of what he says next and the fact that Timothy reported that the Thessalonians were thinking kindly of Paul and Silas and Timothy and that they longed to see them just as Paul and, and these fellows longed to see them as well. Now, this is some sweet fellowship. This is really some very sweet fellowship. The love of the body of Christ towards one another. And more specifically, the love of one another in the context of a local body such as Calvary Bible. And again, I know this has been extremely difficult. And we have lost some of those that we love to other local bodies. But can I just say that I've also sensed our love for one another being very much alive and well 
here at Calvary Bible Church. And, and whether it's, it's out here greeting people coming in or, or the, the, the experiences that you have in your fellowship groups or, oh gosh, for those of you that were able to make it, when we had pie and praise, that to me was just a tremendous time of fellowship and just seeing the body come together and just loving one another. And of course, loving God and offering our praises to God. But that was something that just, uh, personally, it immensely blessed my soul. It was just a tangible love, not just for God and His Son, but for each other. Thirdly, faith produces fruit. Faith produces fruit. Continuing in verse 6, he says, And that you always think kindly of us. Now I say it produces fruit because kindness, or to think kindly of someone, is indeed part of what? The fruit of the Spirit. Along with love and joy and peace and patience, then there's kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And for the Thessalonians to think kindly of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we would surmise this was because it was first based on this kind of special relationship that, that we understand that they all had with one another. Paul and the boys here had seemed to build a special bond with the Thessalonians that, that maybe they, it was a, a bit more intensive than, than with some other folks or some other churches. And I'm, I'm sure that the Thessalonians thought kindly of the trio for bringing the gospel to them and for staying with them and for laboring among them and, and caring for them, for sending Timothy back to them. I, I'm sure they had many even wonderful memories of their times together and doing ministry with one another. And why shouldn't we, two friends, think kindly of one another in our body and cherish those memories of special times with each other? You know, maybe there was a ministry uh, event where you're serving side by side with these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord and and a, sp- a special time in somebody's home or, or, or being out for coffee and just sharing kindnesses with one another or even a getaway or a vacation together. Maybe, maybe kindness was expressed to a, a brother or sister during a trying time or a difficult life situation. But it's important that we remember these times of kindness and it's important that we look to find times to specifically act kindly towards one another. As Hebrews 13 and verse 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. That doesn't necessarily just refer to, say, pastors, leaders, elders. Fourthly, faith produces fellowship. Faith produces fellowship. We look again to verse 6, at the end of verse 6. We'll get a running start here. He says, and, what you all, oh, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. So true faith produces a desire for fellowship, in-person fellowship, being with one another, seeing one another. As I've said before, there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Christianity was never meant to be lived out on a, on a deserted island. And this is never more apparent than when things like persecution and suffering and afflictions are, are taking place. But even apart from those things, we should desire to be with one another. We should long for it, look forward to it. You know what just 
man, was such a, a, a cool blessing to me was when I took my very first short-term missions trip, and it was here at Calvary Bible Church, and, and um, there were a number of us, and we went to Samara, Russia, and the point of our trip was to help them out with kind of youth ministry. They weren't kind of quite sure how to do youth ministry, and we were going to kind of specifically show them how to put on a summer camp, basically for youth. And and I was, you know, nervous before going and a little apprehensive and you're thinking, uh, am I going to know the language? How, how are we I don't know the language. So how are we going to talk and how are we going to communicate? And it's only going to be through translators and and are we going to I mean, are we even going to like each other? You know, that kind of thing. You're just wondering all these things going through your mind. And boom, you get over there and next thing you know, you just almost instantly realize, man, these are brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're just like us. And we just, you just start, you know, loving on each other. And, and the fellowship with other believers halfway around the world, it was just incredible. It was incredible to, to just enjoy to be with one another. And again, another tremendous example was our, a beautiful fellowship was, was, was at our pie and praise. And we're going to have some great, things to look forward to even this month and even in January more more details to come there I love Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to 25 you know this passage the author writes let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful verse 24 and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of Christ's return drawing near. And and he's giving them this exhortation because they were struggling with assembling together. They were having an issue with coming together as a church family. And you see, yes, there are some pointed reasons here to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encouraging one another. So friends, I would just say this. If you have a problem with fellowshipping with other Christians, you know, you might need to first ask yourself if indeed you are a Christian. You might need to ask yourself that question. Now, you might also say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm shy. I'm a shy Christian and, and okay, I get it. No, actually, I really don't because I, I'm an extrovert <laughs> so much I don't understand that. But okay, okay, you're shy. Fine, fine. That, that's, that's, that's all right. But here's the deal. I'm not letting you off the hook, right? You're not getting let off the hook for Sunday morning or, or something like a pie and praise or to come to our Christmas concert or, or our, oh, this is going to be good, our New Year's Eve fellowship extravaganza with prizes, prizes. <laughs> now, you're not let off the hook there. These are important times. We need to desire to be with one another, long to be with one another. And fifthly, faith produces comfort. Faith produces comfort. Verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted. Ooh, guess what word is that? Parakaleo, right? We've had that now several times. That's that same word used for helper the holy spirit as helper right back in the upper room we were comforted about you through your faith did you get that their faith brought comfort 
to Paul and Silas and Timothy. This is an amazing one because, again, Paul's saying that even through the distresses and afflictions and sufferings and we're under this weight of persecution. And again, we just to remember all those things that they were they were going through is some intense, intense times and horrible things were happening to them. And yet, what do they say the faith of the Thessalonian brethren did for them? It comforts them. It comforted them. Now, we also know this is true because a church that lacked faith was heart-wrenching for Paul. It was heart-wrenching for him. When confronted with some of the Corinthian church's lack of faithfulness, he talks about, we see in the scripture that he found himself to be restless, even depressed in 2 Corinthians 7, 5-6, even, even losing interest in preaching the gospel because of maybe some of the anxiety and a troubled heart and mind that Paul was experiencing. And of course, Paul spoke in-depthly about this supernatural comfort from God when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers in our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. In other words, this comfort is a supernatural comfort that comes from the Lord, and it's reciprocal. It's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Basically, comfort and comfort and comfort and comfort and it just keeps going around. Do you need comfort right now? Do you need comfort? Can you give comfort right now? Frankly, there's many in our body that are hurting. We are a hurting people. We are hurting sheep. And can I just suggest that now would be the time more than ever to maybe be on the lookout for those who need comfort and with our own faith, comfort them. Comfort them with the healing salve of Christ and His love. Six, faith produces life. Faith produces life. Look at verse eight. For now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord. This word for live, it can have some different meanings, but here it is to be understood metaphorically as in to live or prosper or be blessed. And Paul's point is, is continued from finding comfort because of their faith to now being blessed for knowing that the Thessalonians have been standing firm in their faith. For Paul, maybe this, maybe this means that he has a new zeal for ministry. Ministry that's been incredibly difficult. Maybe, maybe in this, this living, it's a new kind of pep in his step for Paul. I mean, think about this too. For, for those of you like Paul, if you've ever been in a teaching position, right? Maybe you've been an actual teacher in a school or, or maybe you've, you've taught it at, a, at church or, or some kind of, well, even family or teaching your kids. And, and sometimes you kind of get that feeling like, I just don't know if anything's getting through. 
You know, I, I'm just feeling like I'm just talking to, you know, blank faces or a wall or whatever. But then one person, one person gets it. They get what you're saying. And it just kind of, oh, it just fills you with joy, doesn't it? And you're like, yeah, it doesn't even matter that the 19 others didn't get it. This one person did. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a Savior, you know? And it blesses you to no end. Well, don't you just stand back in amazement at how God has designed faith so that somebody else who is standing firm in the Lord and who is exhibiting a a vibrant, very much alive kind of faith can bring life. They can bring blessing. They can bring hope to you who might really need it. Mm. In chapter 5, we'll be urged to encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. And again, I say to you who have a faith firm in the Lord, please look for others who need some life right now. Look for others who need some life in their faith. Maybe take them under your wing. Offer them some rest. Offer them some encouragement. Strengthen and help to build them up. Seven, faith produces thanksgiving. Faith produces thanksgiving. Look at verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return? Paul is filled with thanksgiving to God for how he has been encouraged by the Thessalonians' enduring faith. And again, here's what's cool about this is the way that God has designed things, that the Thessalonians were blessed by Timothy, and no doubt because of this gave thanksgiving to God for Timothy's encouraging visit. Now, because of that, Paul is then blessed by the Thessalonians, and he's giving God more thanksgiving and praise. In other words, the blessings that God puts in place here are, again, they're cyclical, one feeding the the other feeding the other feeding the other and because of this this circle circle of thanksgiving to the lord is perpetual and it just keeps going so let us be thankful to god for the blessings of one another's faith let that bless you and give thanksgiving to god for it and feel free to to share that blessing with one another you know brother i just want to tell you i've just been so blessed by by just your service or your your faith or just your your devoutness and oh man sister i just want you to know i you have encouraged me great i mean and then and then both parties give thanksgiving to god it's a glorious thing look for those opportunities to do that and to give all thanks to him number 8 faith produces joy Faith produces joy. Paul continues the same train of thought. Um, We'll pick up again in 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return? For all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. So so not only is there thanksgiving and praise going to God, but because of of the Thessalonians growing and, and maturing spiritual life, then this brought immense joy to Paul's heart. And as well, then, he turns around and offers that same joy in the form of rejoicing to God. Recognizing it's truly all God's doing. And again, we just see how God mysteriously works behind the scenes to bring this joy to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Simply because of the faith of the Thessalonians. It's not that the Thessalonians are trying to do anything to make Paul joyful. They're just living out their faith in this awesome, remarkable way. And that brings joy to Paul, which then brings rejoicing to God. I mean, this is awesome. 
It's awesome the way God works, isn't it? I'm just, sometimes these things just bowl me over. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, if any affection and compassion, oh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I mean, the, 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 the spiritual lives of others brought immense joy to Paul. Does it bring the same joy to you, friends? When you see people on fire for the Lord, does it just bring a joy? Or when you see them just, just, just acting in a steadfast, faithful way, does it bring joy to your heart? Do you offer then this rejoicing to God? Just, I mean, know, friends, that when you invest into the spiritual life of another Christian, and certainly those here at Calvary Bible Church, there will be joy inexpressible that will come to your heart. It will go right down through your body, into your feet, and knock your socks off. It will. And then you will rejoice before the Lord, and much glory will come to Him. Here's the thing. I dare you to try it. I double-dog dare you. I double-dog dare you to try just finding joy in another believer's faith. Number nine, faith produces prayer. Faith produces prayer. Look at verse 10. Paul says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face. Now, of course, the context here is, is fellowship, right? Paul's praying to be with them, to see their face. But, but look again. It's because of the faith of the Thessalonians that then drives them to pray for this. And, and it, this, this, this prayer then is produced in Paul. And it's not just some kind of, you know, humdrum, lackadaisical, by rote kind of prayer. But this is fervent prayer, praying earnestly night and day. That is how important Paul and, and, and company are to the Thessalonians. That the Thessalonians had, had, had become to them. And all because of this tremendous faith that they were standing firm in. So friends, let us just always be praying for each other. And, and not just the physical things. I mean, those are important, no doubt about it. And we pray for healings and we pray for care and, 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 and comfort, you know, and, and for afflictions and things that are happening to us, again, in that physical realm. But let us not forget to pray for people's spiritual lives, for their spiritual growth and maturity or for God's help or, or, or to bless somebody let us always be praying for each other. When we see that somebody's faith might need strengthening, pray for that. You see somebody with some weak faith or faith that is just kind of wilting a bit, pray for them. You can pray for them by yourself, but then go to them and pray. Pray with them. Pray without ceasing. And lastly, number 10, faith produces faith. Look at the end of Verse 10, we'll, we'll get a running start again. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, friends, this is not to be understood in a negative way, but rather it's to be understood in that kind of excel still more kind of way. The Thessalonians were commended by Paul for their work of faith and standing firm in the faith. And now he simply wants to add to that 
faith. We want to see, he wants to see their faith continue to strengthen, continue to be bolstered, continue to grow, continue to mature. And, and here we just, we see the shepherd's heart in Paul. That's really what we see. And of course, where did Paul get that from? Well, he modeled it on the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, who knew everything about feeding and watering his flock with the word and and giving them rest and protection and care and compassion and and even correction and discipline, strength and encouragement, love, grace, and tender mercies. And there is that understanding that these things are precisely what you should see in us here at Calvary Bible as your leaders But there is also a sense in which you can all be helping one another to complete what is lacking in each other's faith. You can can join in there and help a brother or sister to build and bolster and complete what might be lacking in their faith. Charles Spurgeon once said, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. I like that. So remember, faith sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, and it receives the impossible. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray for our faith. That each one of us, Lord, might give some consideration to these different items that we see, these characteristics really of of what faith produces in the life of a believer. And and Lord, to kind of evaluate even our strengths and our weaknesses, and especially in the areas that we might be lacking, Lord, what might we do with your help and the word of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us to, to fill in that hole, to bolster and strengthen that aspect of faith. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their sins and believe in him, even right now, this morning, while we are praying, that they would be reconciled back to you. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.